All right, uh, today we are going to continue in our series um, that's called Prodigal. We are in week six of seven. It's hard to believe this thing is almost over. Some of you are waiting for this to be over. You're thinking to yourself, Pastor, you could have covered the entire Prodigal Son in one, one um, Sunday. And I get somebody waving because you know what I forgot? Kids, if you're here, you don't want to listen to me. I was told before service, I might be boring. Go see Pastor Kevin and the kids' ministry. Yes, I'm picking on you. Um, go back, see Pastor Kevin. He's going to have a fantastic word for you guys. And you can tell I don't always do the transition by the things I forget. So kids, go back with Pastor Kevin. Enjoy kids' church. Um, parents, as, as, as Kyle says every week, don't forget to pick up your kids after service. You might want a nap, but t- take them home, then take your nap. Um, Luke chapter 15 is where we find ourselves. Luke 15. Uh, we have been just devouring one parable over seven weeks. One parable, seven weeks. But it is a parable that has absolutely been crushing my world in a beautiful way. I love when the Spirit of God just crushes my world and just wrecks my world. Um, that's something we used to say back in the 80s that I've been hearing more people say, God rocked my world, God crushed my world. And it sounds like it's a bad thing, but it's never a bad thing because whatever he crushes, he resurrects and gives us new. And that's what this scripture has really truly done for me. Um, chapter 15 out of Luke, verse 25. Now the older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. Now notice he didn't go in the house, he just drew near. And he heard uh, the black-eyed peas and dancing going on. And then he, <laughs> they're still around? This is not 2010 here. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And your brother, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the elder son was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. I want you to notice something. The father's move is always to move toward people. He went, when he saw the younger son returning home, he went after him. And when he found out the older son, the older brother wasn't going to come in, he went out to him. And he said to his father, look, these many years I've served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, killed the fatted calf for him, cheering for Ohio State and all these other bad things. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. Yes, I embellished a little bit on the scripture there. This story that we have been just partaking of over these past six weeks, this month and a half, is a story that I believe is something that should challenge us as as believers as well as people who aren't following Jesus. Now granted, this story has been used for years and rightfully so to call the lost, call those who are not in Christ, those who don't follow Jesus to follow Jesus. But I think that for so long that we have had so much emphasis on that portion of the parable that we forget that the rest of the parable, if not the entire parable, was not centered on the lost. It was centered on us to challenge our hearts. And so that's what I want to do today is to continue to challenge us, the church. Do you guys have a favorite mug at home? Everybody got a favorite mug? 
Okay, Kathy, thank you for being the only honest person in the room. Uh, we all have favorite mugs, and I've got a mug. I use one mug at work. I've got three or four mugs at work, but there's one that I use almost all the time, and I don't know how often you're supposed to wash your work mug. Um, is it like once a month, once every two months? Asking for a friend. <laughs> one of my favorite comments on Facebook. It's when you want to admit that you're doing something, but you don't want to say it's you, so you're just asking for a friend. Um, and so I've got, I just got a brand new mug given to me. So I'm like, man, maybe I should use this time to wash my other mug and maybe the other couple that are on my bookshelf. So any of you that come to my office, you do not want to use my mugs ever in my office. At home, we wash them all. And even at home, I use the same th- three mugs. I don't touch any others because they're not as cool as my regular mugs. So the other day I am making coffee and because the doctor took me off coffee, I'm making really, really, really good decaf, which is already giving a lot of pity toward me right now. So yes, I'm diving into decaf. I'm doing a pour over, but I have to take a long road trip because I've got an appointment up north. And so in my brain, okay, I'm going to do the pour over, but I want to make it hot so I can just sip it all the way up on my two hour drive. And so I do the unpardonable sin. I'm not only making decaf, but I stick it in the microwave. So I put it in the microwave and I'm like, okay, let me get my favorite travel mug. I got this Yeti mug for giving blood. It was, man, it was I love this thing. And um, what I love about the Yeti mug is you can put lava in there and it will keep the lava at the proper temperature. But when you put coffee into the microwave, it does become lava. And so I put it into my travel mug and we get five minutes down, 131. And in my brain, I thought the coffee was at a specific temperature. I had forgot to anticipate what the microwave was going to do to my coffee. Has anybody ever burnt their tongue? Let me rephrase that. Has anybody ever burnt the entirety of their tongue, including their uvula, because you took such a big swig of lava level coffee? And you get the mouthful, and what do you do when you're driving when you've got that? You spit it out. I've got it on my steering wheel. I've got it all over my hand. I've got it on my jeans. This is just what you do. And so I'm driving up north. I'm going to an appointment, and while we're up at the appointment, I'm going to have lunch with my parents. And I remember thinking, the entirety back to front, tongue, uvula, everything is scorched. And so I'm thinking to myself, there is nothing that I'm going to eat today that I'm going to actually enjoy. My parents are going to take me out to lunch and I'm going to put food in my body and none of it is going to have any taste whatsoever. One moment scorches the taste buds and prevents me from ever tasting everything that ever. I'm being very dramatic because that's what pastors do. Uh, I'm not going to taste anything because of an initial moment. And I feel like as I begin to really get through my message for Sunday, I felt like this is unfortunately perhaps is what has happened in the church with people is I wonder, instead of having churches that center around the Father, the Father we read about, the Father of mercy, the Father of grace, I wonder if we have elder son churches. Elder sons who look and they see what they don't like in other people and they keep their distance completely. And we've got elder son churches that perhaps have scorched the palate of people's hearts They have now made them iffy on showing up to church, let alone opening up their hearts to Jesus. This week has been a very convicting week for me, diving into Luke 15 and just asking myself, have I become the elder son at any point 
And I, I know the answer is yes. I could tell you my years of Bible college. Can I tell you my years of Bible college? Do you think I was becoming more holy? I'll be honest. I became more like a Pharisee in Scripture. I remember after my first uh, couple months coming home, my dad was a worship leader for our church. And because I had a whole couple months of Bible college, I came home and told him how he didn't know how to lead worship. What type of spirit drives us? with that superiority, that self-righteousness. It's this elder brother spirit. And this parable challenges people to come home to Jesus, but yet, in this context, it challenges us, the church, to guard our hearts, that we would have hearts like the Father, hearts that see people the way the Father sees them, and not doing what the elder brother says, and just simply says, I'm gonna keep my distance. And you know what? Those people, God, those are your people. They're not my people. Because if we look at the audience that Jesus is speaking to, look at verses one and two of chapter 15. The audience is, yes, sinners and tax collectors, verse one. But secondly, the main audience and the people he's actually speaking to are the religious. These are the church leaders, the churchgoers. You're like, man, get them, pastor. Go after all those rest of those pastors. This is all of us. These church people that can simply have this elder son spirit that can tend to keep our distance from people that don't act the way we want them to act, that, that don't look the way we want them to look, that don't think the way that we want them to think and have the personality we want them to have and they have to be like us and look like us and act like us. Pastor, did you see how so-and-so was dressed? You need to tell them to change what they're, how they're dressed before they come in the church. I remember getting that from a youth leader. I had a youth leader back in the day, whatever that means still. I remember she says, we need to buy youth group sweatshirts. I'm like, that's a great idea. She goes, no, 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 not to sell them. But if we don't see people, young people dressed the way we think they ought to be dressed, we should have them wear those sweatshirts so they know how they ought to dress in church. What is that? That's elder son spirit. That, you might not believe this, it's alive and well in the church. I remember when I was in youth group, um, and uh, I don't know if any of you remember, remember DC Talk. Oh man, that reaches my soul. I grew up on DC Talk, and, or I loved ETW, which stood for End Time Warriors. Man, I love the 90s, all right? 90s Christian music was good. Secular music, that's where music went to die. Not, not big on 90s music, but Christian music was great in the 90s, and I loved it. I love ETW. In fact, I performed a rap song by ETW called Satan, You're Canceled. I'm just telling you, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> and thank God nobody ever recorded that. It would be horrendous. Um, but I remember uh, when we outgrew this little room that we were in, and so we had to use the worship center like this. It sat a thousand people, and there's only like 60 or 70 of us students. because We outgrew our room, so we got into this place, and, and I knew people were a little bit nervous about the youth group using the worship center. We called it the sanctuary back in the day, but I don't like that because I believe we are the sanctuary of the, of the Holy Spirit. And so our youth pastor would let us do different songs and things during the youth service, and my friend did a song by DC Talk called Heaven Bound. All right, the title alone is good, Heaven Bound. And I'm not gonna perform for you today because I would ruin it for you. I'll let you look it up later and then you'll think you're lucky stars that didn't perform it for you. But I remember he was up in the middle of the stage and we are standing up, we're clapping, our hands are in the air, we're shouting, we're all excited. And then one of our board members from the church came through the side door and stood there and folded his arms, shaking his head. And we're all like, 
We're all look, like, like, we don't want to be caught. We'll, we'll, we'll let, my friend Jay was performing. We'll let Jay take the heat for all of this. We're all good. But when I think of the elder brother's spirit, these are the images that I get. And that when I look at that situation, I begin to even look into my own heart where I begin to distance myself at certain seasons of my life from individuals because of how they were, or how, the decisions they made with their life, decisions they made with their bodies, decisions they made in their politics. And that can get so far into our hearts. Luke chapter 15, this man, this elder son was preoccupied with his life, his field, his way, his, um, his idea of how to do things. And he was so preoccupied with, with his mode that he didn't even notice that there's a party going on. I'm like, how do you not notice when you're in a field that most of the workers are gone, that there are lights, there's pyrotechnics, there's sound going on, that, there, that the community has been invited over to your home? How do you not notice that? And so he asks the servant, finds out what happens, and he just distanced himself. And I'm afraid that we as the church, if we're not careful, that we will get better at distancing ourselves from sinners than actually drawing near to them, helping them to see the love of Jesus. I wrote it this way. The church should be living proof of the Father's mercy, not a people pretending to have it all together. The church was meant not to be a country club, to be a community that is living proof of the Father's mercy. We don't have to show up and have to look a certain way in order to prove a point to everybody. Listen, I just, just know this. You never have to impress Pastor Dave. I already think you're a bit of a mess. You never have to try to impress me because I already think you're a bit of a mess because I'm a bit of a mess. And if we can get to the, to the point where we can view gathering on Sunday morning, not as a place where you have to dress up for anybody, but just show up for Jesus. I want to get that word into somebody today that we don't have to dress up for anybody. You don't have to impress anybody. You don't have to make anybody happy in this room. Just show up for Jesus is all I'm asking for. Come dress the way that you need to be dressed. Come sing the way that you need to, be, that you need to sing. Come give your heart to the Lord. That's all I ever ask because this is not Dave Berenger's house. This is not the elder son house. This is the father's house. Well, there's a 90s song right there. A place for the Father's love to be shown. And so I love the Father. The heart of the Father immediately, I mean, he could have stood far off and said, just go drag him in here and I'm gonna deal with him. But he goes to the Son. And the Son, instead of responding to the Father's mercy, he unloads on the Father. And he says, this Son of yours, he won't even say my brother, this Son of yours, he has no place here. He ruined his chance. He's not one of us. And I am concerned that in a world of younger sons needing to come home to the Father, that we have churches that are full of elder sons meeting them at the door. We have a world full of prodigals. Younger, the younger son in the story is the wasteful prodigal, but I see the elder son really just as prodigal in a different way. But my worry is that we have a world full of prodigals, but when they're coming to the door, my concern is that they would never ever come to K first and experience an elder son's spirit. Let them show up and experience the Father's love. This is why I am adamant about people being involved in first impressions. Let me give a little ad here. If you are not involved in anything whatsoever, can I challenge you to sign up, to go on the website, go to kfirst.org slash next steps, sign up to be a part of first impressions. I'm telling you, once a month, once every two months, stand at the back door with a smile on your face, ready to greet people, tell somebody you're glad to see them because people that walk through those doors, they don't need your judgment, they need your smile. 
They don't need your judgment. They need your welcoming spirit. When people come in those doors, they need to experience Jesus before music is played and, song, and sermons are preached. They need Jesus. And that's why I believe if you don't have any place to get involved in the church, be a smile. Be a hand extended. And if they're not ready to shake hands, then just wave at them. Give them awkward high fives. Elbow bump them. Whatever it takes. But help people to encounter Jesus. Because it's something that KFIRST will never be is we will never be an elder son church. We're going to be a church full of the Father's love. Verse 20. You cannot read verse 20. Excuse me, verse, uh, verses 20 all the way through verse 25. Because in verse 20, we've got the, son, the Father running, running to the Son. We have a younger son, a prodigal coming, and the father runs to him. Flash forward a few verses. An elder son is keeping his distance. The father goes toward him. And for all of us, it's easy for us to take just nitpick like we are right now at the elder son or even at the younger son. But what I love is this. Is this parable, if it does anything for us today, it is to challenge the way we view the people around us. Because how can we sit and just be in judgment of the elder son when we ourselves can have the propensity to be elder son spirited. How many of us can stand in judgment of the younger son, this prodigal, and not remember that every single one of us at one point were a prodigal? Anybody, anybody in the house, you were born saved? Anybody, please don't raise your hand. Dear God, please, I, Mick, I, you took a drink of your coffee. I thought you raised your hand. <laughs> I'm gonna do deliverance ministry. Every one of us, we're born prodigal. And we need to get to the place where we can begin to see people the way the Father sees them. COVID has done a ton of damage to our, our world. And I'm not here to give you a, sta a statement on masks or no masks or vaccinations or no vaccinations. I'm not here to make statements like this. But in the midst of a world that we've lived in for the past year, we have lost the art of being able to see people's faces. And when you can't see someone's face, you automatically develop a distance and a distrust because you don't know what they're saying. You don't know what they're thinking. And we've gotten so good at socially dis being socially distanced, and I'm not speaking for or against it, though please hear my heart today. We've gotten so good at being socially distanced that I'm afraid that we've learned how to be distant socially. So instead of keeping six feet from people, We've now kept six miles from people, socially. We've lost the art of conversation and getting together. We've lost the art of breaking bread with one another in prayer. And the more distant we get from individuals, the more that we don't get to know them any longer. And the relationships get broken and we begin to walk in assumptions. We begin to walk in ideas and we've forgotten how to get connected to people. If there's anything that needs to be recovered in the church in the next year, there's a lot of things that need to be recovered. But one of the things is we need to begin to close the, DAC, the, close the, uh, the gap of socialization and begin to know each other once again. Could you do me a favor? I'm going to stretch a few of you introverts in the house today. For the next 30 seconds, would you turn around, and if you have not greeted the person around you, you disobeyed the pastor, would you turn and say hello, if you don't know their name, would you ask them their name? I'm not asking you to shake hands. I'm not asking to give awkward high fives or anything of that, that sort. Would you, for the next 30 seconds, undistance yourself, turn, ask somebody their name. 30 seconds, go for it.
there are two sounds that will make your pastor cry. And you know me well enough, I cry over everything. <laughs> One is when the worship team backs away and I hear you guys sing. And the other are those moments right there. Imagine if the only spirit that people ever get is the elder son spirit. Because the sound you had right there, that's the sound of the father's house. That's the sound of the father's house. That's the sound of the father's love. Barriers being broken. Friendships sometimes rekindling. Connections being made. Because there are sometimes people walk in the church and they feel like they're in the elder brother's house instead of the father's house where they just simply want to know, does anybody care that I've even showed up? I don't know about you, I've encountered elder brothers my entire life in church. I have. And I think the elder brother forgot something. This elder son forgot something very simple. And it's this, that I am a, if I am a recipient of the Father's grace, then I am a distributor of the Father's grace. The elder son forgot that I've, if I've been a recipient of what the Father has and what the Father has given me, I've got a responsibility to distribute it. That means that you and I do not have an excuse to ever sit in church and do nothing. That we walk in and we don't come just to show up. And let me, let me just address this. You're not coming for me to feed you. If I'm the only one who feeds you spiritually, you've got a crappy spiritual diet. Listen, when I got introduced to Weight Watchers years ago, it, was what, it, was, it did amazing things for me. But I'm just going to tell you, my worry was it was going to tell me to eat once a day or once a week. No, I had to eat a steady diet. You need a steady diet of being in the Word and being in prayer. But when you come together, don't starve yourself of each other. You're in the Father's house. And when we come into the Father's house, we don't keep our distance on purpose. We look for people around us because people need, people need healing and they need you in their life. People need encouragement, so they need you in their life. People need a sense of peace. They need you in their life because that's going to make them feel loved. I was sharing uh, the other day about uh, a, a show that I've been watching lately and I'm fascinated. I'll just tell you this. I love studying public speakers. And my favorite public speakers to study, because I want to be a better speaker, is comedians. They are the best storytellers. The best. And so I, I got attracted to this show called, let me get it right, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And the great comic, Jerry Seinfeld, is, is picking up comedians in a different car, and they just go get coffee. And many of them just talk about how they started in the game how they started in the business. And one of my favorite ones, he sat down with Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey, one of the most amazing stars of Saturday Night Live ever. Um, and if you're watching it, he does 50,000 different impressions because Dana Carvey can't not do an impression. And out of the blue, he asks a question. He said, Jerry, when do you feel the most loved? And you can see Jerry's response is, he's like, I, I don't know. He goes, let me tell you. Millions of come, people come to my shows, but there are only three people that get to call me dad. And when they call me dad, that's when I feel the most loved. Can you, maybe this week, do, do me a favor, do yourself a favor. Would you ask that question to some people in your life? Ask that to your spouse. Well, I don't want their answer. No, you need their answer. 
I know what they're going to say. Listen and do it. Well, I think I know what my friends think. Ask your friends. Ask your coworkers. Ask your neighbors. When do you feel the most loved? Because I wonder if we are so busy trying to reach people in a way that they may not receive love in that manner. But what if we ask the question for the younger sons and the old elder sons in our life, what do they need so they actually feel and encounter the love of the Father in their life? Because God has called us to missional life. And a missional life has got to be more than an invitation to a church service. It must be an invitation to experience the love and grace of the Father through our lives. That's the biggie there. That's what I want you to get. And listen, I want you to invite people to church. This coming fall, is, it's the start of the new year. People are back from vacations. It's a great time to invite people to church. It's a great time to bring them on out. It's a great time to get them here. But listen, that's not living a missional life. A missional life is when the people can can experience us and they get the love of the Father. They get the love of Jesus that's impacting their life in their context, in the place where you are at. I've had people for years, Pastor, I need you to meet with my friend so you can talk to them about Jesus. I'm like, but dude, they're your friend. Yeah, but we're friends. We're not like that friend. I'm like, we have to have a different conversation. But God did not call me to your workplace. He called you. God didn't call me to your neighborhood. He called you. God didn't call me to your mother-in-law. He called you. I've had a few of you talk to me about that. God has called you. What do your friends, your contacts, your family, how do they feel loved? Go and do likewise. Be the Father's presence there. Let me make a statement that I've made 80,000 times from this pulpit and I don't apologize for saying it again. When it comes to showing love to individuals, loving people, it is not an endorsement of their sin. Loving people is not an endorsement of their sin. Loving people is not embracing their lifestyle. Loving people is not a stamp of approval on people's decisions. Well, if I show love, people are gonna think I agree with them. Showing love is not agreement with people's politics. Well, pastor, just love them. I'm not asking for agreement. I'm not asking for endorsement. I'm not asking for a stamp. I'm not asking for embracing. But I think, so, I think we're giving more reasons to keep our distance than actually catching the heart of the Father. This is how do I get closer? And yes, I do understand boundaries, and I believe in boundaries. We'll preach on boundaries another day. But listen, I think we are looking for more excuses to keep our distance. And being that elder son, rather than catching the heart of the father, Luke 15, that chooses to see people in the potential of what God wants to do. Because the father, he is preoccupied with who's missing. The father cannot wait to extend grace. The father sees potential in everybody to serve the Lord. And the father is the one who celebrates whenever the prodigal shows up. I love that. The prodigal shows up and the father doesn't try to change him. The father embraces him so he can experience the love and let the love be the changing agent. The spirit of God becomes the changing agent and he celebrates whenever they show up. Man, that, wouldn't that be the most awkward thing? How many people in here don't know Jesus? Everybody, let's clap for them. That would be the weirdest start of a service. But what if people showed up to church and they realized that they were being celebrated and not manipulated? Embrace before they were ever expected to experience any change because once you experience Jesus, Jesus always brings a trail of change. God has called us 
to be the fifth gospel. The fifth gospel. I'm going to need a keyboard player up here because I'm going to be talking forever here. The fifth gospel is a concept that came from a pastor that came, uh, that was back in the 19th century. His name was, it was Rodney Gypsy Smith. And he talked about the fifth gospel. Now, now for those of you that are like ready to chalk me up as a, as a heresy, um, there are the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is, this is what Reverend Smith says. He says, there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian. But most people never read the first four. There are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian, but most people in life will never read the first four. My youth pastor used to say it this way, you may be the only Bible that people will ever read. You may be the only Bible people will ever read. You may be the only glimpse of the Father people will ever get. And it is our challenge to be a people that look at others the way the Father looks. Go back, verse one and two. The main audience is so beautiful. Verse one, they're sinners and tax collectors. And this is what it says. This is what it says in the ESV. They were all drawing near. Imagine being type of, of the type of a believer or the type of a church where sinners could not wait to draw near to you. Wrap your head around that. This is what the Pharisees were griping about. I mean, Jesus... He didn't necessarily walk around and say, okay, you're a sinner, come, come sit next to me, I need to talk to you and, and develop my next spiritual accomplishment. He didn't say anything of that sort. He attracted people and sinners drew near. And that convicted my heart. I'm like, Lord, do sinners wanna draw near to me? Or do I walk in such a way as an elder brother that I just wanna keep my distance? And in verse two, it's the religious, that elder brother spirit that says, this man receives sinners and they eat with them. In my heart is, Lord, would you convict our hearts that we would never have that elder brother spirit at K-first. That we would never look at a sinner and say, I have to keep my distance because I don't want to catch what they have. Listen, if it was not for the grace of God, we were all prodigals. Scripture says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we treat people like we're gonna catch something that they have. People don't need your distance. They need you to be the loving Father, ready to go, to be with them, to encourage them, to give them a word, because there are younger, the younger son's still missing. And God is the type of God looking to the hills, waiting for them to come home. And so what I wanted to do today is I want to challenge us. Let us be the church that loves like the Father. Why do this? Four simple things. Number one, Jesus modeled this. Jesus modeled this. Number two, most people in this room used to be prodigals. Anybody here used to be a prodigal? Now I'll look for hands. Yeah. If you didn't put your hand up, you're like, oh no, he's gonna ask me to raise my hand later. Most of us used to be prodigals. Number three, you will model. You'll become a model for how to treat younger brothers. A church that loves like the Father will begin to model, not just in here, because it, yeah, it's okay in here, but when you're out in the highways and the byways, you're at the gym and you're at Meyer, you're there to model how to treat the younger brothers. And number four, Reason why we need to be a church that loves the fathers because we are all connected or we know prodigals. Some of us are related to prodigals. Some of us are married to prodigals. Some of us have children who are prodigals. 
And for us to see the kingdom of God expand, it's not for us to sit on our thrones of judgment. It's let Jesus sit on the throne of judgment. He's the only one that can sit there. It's for us to walk in mercy and grace and to be like the loving Father, ready to run and to go. This can be us. I heard a stat this past week, and I'll wrap up with this. And the stat was talking about the word one billion and said this, the next time you hear a politician or newscaster use the word one billion, let me give you a different perspective because it may help you to see the word one billion or a billion in a different way. For example, one billion seconds ago, one billion seconds ago was 1989. A billion minutes ago was the year 120 AD. So we're talking less than 100 years after Jesus died and rose again. A hundred hours ago, for you old earth, young earth people, didn't exist. For you old earth people, was 114,000 years ago. One billion days ago is 2.74 million years ago. One billion dollars ago is the rate of which the government has spent your money in the past eight hours. So, but we, we think of the idea of one billion we think of that in the same sense as evangelism. That that's just for a few people in the world to do. Something I can't conceive, I can't do, I don't have. So let's shorten it for the commoners. Instead of talking about what billion, let's talk about a hundred. What could God do in our lives in the next hundred seconds? Hundred seconds is what, a minute 40? In the next hundred seconds of dedicating our hearts to the Lord, saying, Lord, let the love of the Father fill me in such a way that when I leave this place, that I am brimming over, brewing over the love of the Father. What can impact could you make in the next hundred minutes? A hundred minutes is the next hour and 40 minutes, which means before you do your Sunday afternoon nap, where you go to lunch, where you go to shop, wherever you go, maybe you're going over to Lake Michigan today. What impact could you make with the Father's love in the next hour and 40 minutes? The next hundred um, hours is four days and four hours. What if you determined over the next hundred hours that you said, Lord, let the Father's love flow through me and I'm going to look for the prodigal. I'm going to look for the elder son wherever you take me for the next hundred hours, four days, four hours, and let the Father's love blow, blow through your life. What about the next hundred days that takes you to Tuesday, November 23rd, Thanksgiving weekend? What impact could you made if you determined to be full of the Father's love in the next 100 days? What about the next 100 months that takes you to December 15, 2029? Some of you are like, I hope I'm alive at that place. But, but that's now become our life. What impact could we made if we looked at life a little bit differently? Instead of treating it in the billion mindset, like evangelism, it's for some people, a few people, not everybody, but what if we had the 100 mindset? For the next 100 seconds, 100 minutes, 100 hours, 100 days. What impact could we do in this world in Kalamazoo by simply being the type of person that was safe for prodigals? That's the title of my message today. A safe place for prodigals. This room will always be a safe place for prodigals. If you don't like that, this is not the church for you. And I want a congregation that is a safe place for prodigals to come to. What about the sinners in your life? Are you a safe place for the prodigals to come to? Or are we the elder brother spirit that says, God, you deal with them, that's your child. And I say, Lord, convict our hearts, change us, help us. Would you bow your heads with me?